Hello, everybody, and welcome to Horror Movie Yearbook. I am Tim. I'm Willie. I think I like groaned into the microphone. <laughs> went, not like groaned, I was like, it's the, dog, it's the dog days of summer. To start, yeah. 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 We, uh, we spent a lot of time outside the last couple of days, and it has not been uh, cool. The sun, the sun will hit you, won't it? It's been a lot hot. Yesterday yeah. was the special that happens only once a year. There are no, there was no major sporting event on yesterday at all because baseball was on break. Mm. That's the only of the four major sports going on. So it was okay. nothing. Nothing. All right. So there you go. That's how you know. Interesting. You're the, that's always how you know you're in the middle of summer. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that, that was a thing. I don't watch sports. So I, I, yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. So John Carpenter played a lot of 2K probably in VA 2K. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> Love John. You think, I don't think John's a baseball guy though. No, I don't believe so. He likes basketball. He's a basketball guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. As far as I know, that's his thing. Um, old John's at Comic Con. Is he at San Diego? I think so. That's I thought he said right. something like, "Come by the booth." Mm-hmm. I think he's there with this comic book company, Storm King. Storm King. Yep. Storm King looks like I've no, I've not read. Looks pretty sick. It does. It like yeah. <laughs> it's a John Carpenter thing that exists that I, I I've never seen it anywhere. First of all, like I like any yeah. of the comic st- shops I'm in, it's never there. Sure. And then yeah, I've never ordered any of them either. I should I should check out some Storm King. Yeah, I read his Joker. <gasps> his Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was kind of wild. It was wild. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, love John. Um, yeah, San Diego Comic Con. He'll he'll be there. I wonder what he thinks of Comic Con. He's, he's probably has he probably has a good time. He's done cons before, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I bet he has a good time. Yeah, I bet he, I bet you he likes seeing some of the costumes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I bet he, I bet he, I bet he. I mean, John probably likes to walk the floor and see stuff. We know? joke about his grumpiness, but he, I think he seemed to lighten up a little in the last few years. Yeah. I think I think we've talked like I think touring with his son, doing music with his son has helped in that. Well, I think that's helped and I think I think he's um and I don't know the man, so like I can't say this, but my my thought is like he's a guy that, you know, has been told for years and years, "Oh, you I love your movies, they're my favorite movies, yada yada." But he never made any money from those <laughs> movies. So he's a little bit bitter about it. Kind of like, oh, "I'm glad you loved it, but it didn't do me any good," yeah. you know? And so I can imagine him getting a little bit, you know, I don't know, kind of grouchy about that. And now he's able to uh, pursue the music a- aspect more, which is great for him. And I think he's understanding, uh, well, he's making money from this stuff now. Yes. So that helps. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't let anybody tell you any differently. Yeah. Money helps. <laughs> um, yeah. So love John. Love San Diego Comic Con. Never been. No. I, I always get excited to see all the craziness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this year is interesting. We'll get some stuff. Maybe we'll talk about it next time a little bit, or maybe we can... Yeah, because we're recording this, and it just started. This is like preview night, I think. Yeah. I, I think that's how it works. Thursday is like a preview night or something. They did some Marvel stuff. I watched... Mike. They had an interview with Mike Judge on one of the things. Nice. Yeah, he's talking about... The, he's got new Beavis and Butthead coming out. Yeah. Um, they were, there was a Prey panel, I think. But for, it was, for the Predator, the Prey... For yeah. the Predator yeah. thing. But I know they've got, like, Walking Dead's going to be there. I think Chucky's oh, yeah. going to be there. Oh, yeah. As far as horror goes, I think that's... I'm not sure what else. I Blumhouse think... usually has something going on there. Yeah. I didn't see this year, so... but you're right. They usually do. Or... <clears throat> they've got some sort of welcome to the Blumhouse panel. Yeah. Um. Yeah, mostly it's the Marvel stuff. I think is always the big showstopper. The Marvel you know. stuff, the DC stuff. Yep. Which could be quite Shazam, quite interesting this year. Shazam, all. there's probably gonna be another one of those, right? Oh, they are making another one of those. They are. Well, then they got Black Adam too. Yeah, Black Big Adam. Big rumors going around about Black Adam. Oh, uh, one Mister 
Henry Cavill may show up. Oh my! Yeah, as Superman. Oh my! <laughs> not as, not as Black Adam. That's the Rock. <laughs> That's the Rock's territory. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the big rumor because apparently this. I read this uh, the other day. The Rock's ex-wife, who is his business partner manager, is also Henry Cavill's manager. Uh-huh. She has done quite well for herself. She's also part owner in the XFL. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent with an X. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know who. Won't be at Comic-Con, I don't believe. Mm. The creators of Westworld. Will Nolan be there? No. <laughs> Nolan doesn't want to be there. But who Nolan, will... Nolan's like, no, I'm not going to that. Who will be paying attention to Comic-Con are the creators of Westworld FM. Ah, indeed. Yes, Alex, Nick. I believe John's on there now as well. Oh? Yes, I believe John has been joining What a segue. Them. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well done. So I have this one pro. Yeah, so I get paid the big bucks. You can check them out if you like Westworld. Even if you don't like Westworld, you can, it, it's probably a very fun experience to listen to them try to explain what the hell is going on. <laughs> I've been bold enough to jump into the uh, the Westworld uh, thread on our Discord, which, by yeah. the way, you know, check us out on Patreon. Yes. Become a part of our Discord conversations. They are a ton of fun. Um, but, uh, every once in a while, just to like, for fun, I'll pop in there, not knowing anything. And I got to tell you, it, it's, it's it sounds like, like an incredibly confusing show. It's like jumping in the deep end. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I like, I like learning about Westworld through this. Me too. I think it's funnier. I had an idea that I was just going to start watching the last season of The Walking Dead. Like, yeah. Just, just to start watching it live. <laughs> Can I tell you, I have an idea for a podcast. Okay. Yeah. 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 Can I tell you this idea live? Not live, but like on on air. Yes, absolutely. Um, where you sit down with with uh, your co-host or, or or a guest or whatever, and you watch the first and last. Uh, I think I've told you about this before. Yeah. You watch the first entry in something, and then you, whether it's a show or a movie series, and then the last entry, and then try and fill in the blanks. Let's let's put this on the let's put this on the back burner. Let's put a pin in this, as they say. Try and narratively the, fill in the blanks in the sales business because we've talked about doing some different stuff moving forward. Yeah. This might not be a bad idea for what we start doing, and just to like yeah. like do what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe with a horror show, maybe with like Walking Dead would right. be a good one. Watch the first episode, and the last episode, <laughs> and then like try and figure out what happened <laughs> in between. <laughs> The best thing about Walking Dead right now is they keep having, this is like the final season part four, it seems. I know. It's incredible. <laughs> this is like uh, that show Animal Kingdom on TNT. They have been advertising the final season for that for like, for like three years. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so sweet. Drag it out. Uh, and here I got marginally annoyed at the Stranger Things release. But. Right. I still haven't. Are you done? No. Um. Yeah. Uh, we are on the last episode of the season. See, I have got part two to go, so I've got the last two to go. We just finished episode eight, which is the first episode in the second part. Okay. Just whatever. Um, we finished that. We are now on the like the finale. We we are an hour into the finale. It's it good. is a two and a half hour long finale. It's a good season though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. I do like season three better. Do you? Okay. I do. I think this the horror I, elements of this rule. Yeah. Very Nightmare on Elm Street inspired. Like there's no question whatsoever. But I think I like season three the best of all the seasons right now. I like this. I like this. It's a good I, hot take. I really like. Is it a hot take? I think so. For, everybody seems to really love this season, and I've seen a lot of people. I go, love it. No, I love it. Yeah, like, best I'm in not... season one is what they've said. Okay, yeah. this this season's great, but um, I think season three is a perfect blend of the horror elements and the coming of age, uh, teen not teen drama but but kid stuff elements. Okay, it's a perfect blend of the two. 
Um, it has real emotional stakes for every character, like all of them. Even the ones that are maybe underserved have some sort of emotional tether for what's going on. Um, and everybody's got something to do. This season's fantastic. The, like from uh, just the scope of it's amazing. Right. That I like the the concepts and the plot and stuff. This is the first season of the show where I felt I felt a tiny bit. I, I'm not. I by no means am I going to call it lazy writing. It's not lazy writing, but it's felt a little bit hand wavy in a couple things. Yeah, I and think there's never a group hand- of characters in particular that I'm thinking of that okay. like didn't even need to exist <laughs> for the plot. No. But this is also um it's very good. It's very yeah. like I love it. I'm not trying to I'm just saying I do, I do I hear a lot of like this is the best season of the show. I have to I do have to disagree with that. I think 3 I haven't finished this yet, but I think 3 for me is is my favorite. I think what's nice about seasons 1 through 3 though too is uh they had an editor. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason these jobs exist. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> please pay an editor because some of the stuff that I think you might be talking about maybe could have been edited out. Maybe it could have been deleted scenes. I don't know if it was that integral to the plot. Yeah, and and, and I do think that one other it ties into that one other downfall this season is that I legitimately think for the first time they are having a hard time juggling characters. Yeah. I think it's showing. Yeah. Um, and even with these like supersized episodes they're putting out, there are some characters where I'm like, this person does not need to be on the show. Like, like, and it's fine. I enjoy seeing them because all the performances are great. But like, this person has done has, has done nothing as a character this season. Like, there's been no arc. There's been no so. Paul Reiser in Stranger Things or Paul Reiser in The Boys? Oh, The Boys. Yeah, but and I like a, Paul Reiser. In Stranger me too. Me too. It's two different, completely different characters. But <laughs> Uh, have you watched the Resident Evil show, though? I've not. I've watched two episodes, and I will continue to watch it. Yeah? I'm not telling you it's good. You're in it for now? I'm telling you I will continue to watch it. it but it's going to be one of those shows that I watch at my own pace. Okay. Like, Sunday morning rolls around. Yeah. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm cleaning yeah. up. I'm doing chores. I go, you know what? I can I can knock out an episode of okay. the Resident Evil show. I've heard Lance Reddick is great. Very good, yes. Um, and I've heard the giant caterpillar is cool. Have you hit that part yet? I have not hit that part. A lot of people seem... I'm, I want to at least get to see episode four because I'll, there are quite a few people I've seen that have made it that far that say, oh, that's, there's a good twist in it. I've heard the same thing, that, that once you get through episode four, it's like the, the, the season has a shift and it's... This feels like one of those shows, and I've ranted about this too many times, but it feels like one of those shows that may have benefited from, we don't, with streaming shows, we don't get this anymore, but benefited from a longer season because it feels like a CW show. And a lot of times. I've heard that it feels very much, yeah. And what I, and also like, and it's not even just because it's teen oriented and there's a lot of music in it, a lot of source music, which is not a criticism you should throw at Resident Evil because these movies have always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The first one had a bitchin' soundtrack. It did. um, But, uh, it also, like CW shows, sometimes they took a season or two to find their feet and to yeah. find the characters. And I think this may have been one that may have benefited from that. May have that. needed more of that. But no. maybe not. <laughs> Got a favorite monster so far? What monsters have shown up? Uh, only two in. Just zombies probably. It's point. really, but okay. So yes, there's a zombie, but there is a a zombie in a apartment that involves cats. Ooh. <laughs> So, okay. This is listen. I've been. This is. It's not great, but it's one of those shows that, because of who I am and my tastes, I will continue to watch. Front of the show, John Street watched the whole thing, and mm. um, he. What said, did John uh, say? I uh, he, he said it's, it's not a good show, but like he was entertained throughout. I'm kind of with John. Um, yeah. 
like he's not going to sit here and say that it's like some sort of he says that like it could have kind of just been its own thing and they, it's just kind of called Resident Evil like there's not despite some efforts here and there to maybe try and tie it into the games it really doesn't do that much for that um to me it felt more if so far it feels more like the movies like the widescreen yeah movies yeah and he said he said there's been a handful of 10 second skips for him okay to get through some of the stuff okay um but he did say there was a bit in the seventh episode that made it all worth it for him so <laughs> this is, is kind of yeah kind of what i've like i skimmed like vulture reviews just to see because they put the star ratings at the top yeah and it's like all over the place but then there were a couple four out of five episodes so there like, were. i gotta see what this is about so yeah i know what the episode seven thing is okay and i i don't know what the execution's like it sounds cool but i don't we'll see i think that's it for tv right yeah we've um the game nerds were talking about game news, so check them out. Yes, they're recapping all sorts of game news. Excellent. Are you ready to happen? Oh. The ti- oh, we got it. This is a time machine. This is not a teleportation. This is we- not a pod. Or this whatever. is not a yeah. pod. Yes, whatever it's called. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not jumping in one of those. Me neither. I've although, seen what happens. Although Goldblum, I mean, he looks pretty good when he gets out of it the first time. At first, he looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Refreshed. It's like shirtless Ian Malcolm. Great. You know? <laughs> ready to yeah, ready to go out to a club and take a uncomfortable picture with a woman. <laughs> There's a lot of sleaze in this movie. A lot more than I remembered. Let's uh, let's dive into. You ready to get this time machine? I'm ready. Uh, you know, I feel like all of Cronenberg's time machine sounds are pretty similar, and it's just kind of. Oh, yes. Yes, we're back. That's my David Cronenberg impression. Welcome <laughs> back. Uh, he's got a really great delivery of a line in um, Nightbreed. And it's when... They <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'm laughing thinking about it. It's when, <laughs> it's when they roll up on the lead character. He's with the cops. And he rolls up and he goes... And I'm paraphrasing maybe. He just... He has a gun. <laughs> He has a gun. <laughs> but the way he said, I can't do it justice, but like the way he, his line is so, like his delivery is so funny. Love, <laughs> love Cronenberg. <laughs> I do too. Well, I think we've come across a little bit down maybe at times on his uh, his work, but I, I mean, I think he's a terrific director. He's fantastic. A, he's fantastic. It's just, you watch five Cronenberg movies back to back to back like we've been doing, and sometimes it, he can wear on you a little bit, I think. <laughs> maybe I mean, your- it's, it, it, there's an oppressiveness to his films. <laughs> And it's a, not the quality necessarily. No. It's just man, are they you? Ugh, man, a brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man slash fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. Directed by David Cronenberg, written by George Langland, who did the short story. Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg they did the screenplay for this. Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, John Getz. All right, Willie. Yes, yes. Uh, I haven't seen this in a while. This is actually, this is the Cronenberg movie I've seen the most. It's, yeah. I think same. the last time I watched it was on a, like a Fear Fest a while back. Okay. Um, on an AMC. It's, it's, I think it's still called Fear Fest. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, During the Halloween season? Yep. So yeah. I think this is this is the closest thing for me, Cronenberg-wise, to like a classic Halloween movie. Like we talk, our, we tend to like more fun Halloween oh, movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, this this one could, could potentially be in the rotation, for sure. And I think you've mentioned before, like this... Is probably his most like studio movie, like his most 
I mean, it's certainly his most well-recognized movie, right? I think most people, when they think of Cronenberg, think of The Fly first. I think so. At least in the, yeah, at least as far as horror fans go, I would say. Or maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre-history of violence, Cronenberg, certainly. Yeah. Think of The Fly. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's great. I don't know. You know, it's funny because, like, The Fly is one of those, it's not like one of my all-time favorite horror movies. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But it's so good. And it, it it does everything with such a briskness. It doesn't bullshit around. Like, it gets to the meat of everything, literally, sometimes. Yes. It gets to the meat of everything that it needs to get to without, like, it, 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 there's no fat on this thing. It just does what it needs to do. It develops its character. No fat on Jeff Goldblum, either. No, shredded. <laughs> um, it, uh, it develops all of its characters. It takes you through multiple arcs even with some supporting characters it's not a huge cast but i'm thinking of uh what's the guy's name stannis or something what's what's the the gina davis's character her yeah her stathis stathis barans by john getz i keep thinking of okay so there's a character on game of thrones called stannis baratheon <laughs> and i keep thinking of stannis baratheon i bet you i bet old double r Took that. He likes the fly. He likes the fly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, when he's not when he's not blogging about Jets and New York Giants NFL games. <laughs> you go and, on his blog. Go on George R. R. Martin's blog. He ain't writing any books. He's blogging about the Jets and the Giants. He's the funniest to me. I honestly, he rules. I think he's great. Remember when he showed up at he's a shark? He's not going to write that book. No, he showed up at a Sharknado a few years yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't care about that. He doesn't. Come on. But yes, he 100% has seen and enjoyed The Fly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, it does all of the, like, it accomplishes so much and tells such a complete story from the character work to the themes to, I mean, but it, it does it all in this, like, hour and what, 30-some minute package? Yeah. And it's it just, man, it just moves and it works. It's just, it is a, just a pure film in in terms of like there's no it's told so well the story's told so well in the medium of a, of a 90 minute movie it just god it just works like um i think it fires on all cylinders i think it's it's certainly my favorite movie of his that we've we've talked about on the show and i think it's my favorite film of his period um i i like others as well but i think this is probably my favorite so yeah. Yes, I would. Um, this is my favorite. I think it's my favorite Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Um, I think this is this is one of I this time around, it really really worked for me mm-hmm. um, more than it's ever, and I've always enjoyed it. But man, this time, this time I'm like, oh, maybe this is one of my favorite yeah. favorite movies, and it does what. I also watched the original, the Vincent Price movie before, and it's not really a Vincent Price movie. The original's different than I remembered it because it's it's a movie that starts out. And then it immediately tells the rest of its story through flashback. Yes. And it's more about kind of the disintegration of the female lead in that movie. And Vincent Price kind of plays a side character in it. Um, and it was it was different than I remembered it. But it does... And Vincent Price is not the fly. Right. Right. Yep. And it does what, the, what Carpenter's Thing does, too, which is it updates a 1950s movie, but it's a different take on it, and it does what a remake, in my opinion, what I like it to do. I don't want to say what it should do, because... I mean, it's up to whoever, but it's what I like a remake to do, which is to take the same kind of premise and spin it a little differently. Well, I think the three, I think I, I love that you mentioned the thing and I wanted to do that too, because I think there are three films 
and none of them I it, was the fly a big box office hit it wasn't I mean it, I, I didn't I missed that I don't either. think it was any sort of huge hit the thing definitely wasn't but anyway I think these movies critically got a lot of crap because during the 80s you had a lot of um critical blowback on horror in general mostly as a response to uh, the rise of the slasher genre and the gore and the blood and guts and the um, the more extreme stuff that was coming out in the eighties. Oh, you know what though? This did. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But no, I wanna, okay. Yeah, this did. This was his biggest hit. Cronenberg's okay. biggest hit. It made sixty million with a nine million budget. So okay, yeah, no, yeah, this was a hit. Okay. Yep. But but I, there was a lot of criticism about the thing with regard to oh, it's just another schlocky blood and guts thing. They ruined a classic. 50s horror film, right? And I think there's three movies that are all eight, all, all made in the 80s, all remakes of black and white films from that era. Um, and I, I think the three of them make a great kind of triple feature of like modernizing, perfectly modernizing a story that could seem hokey that was made 30 some years or 30 years before or whatever. I don't remember what year the original fly came out, but 58, um, I think 58. Yeah. Okay. And then I think the thing was before A- that. 80, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was mid fifties. I think yep. I want to say 54. And the other one I was going to mention is Chuck Russell's the blob. the blob. Those three are like the perfect remakes in my opinion for horror remakes. Yep. Um, I think more, I think we, if <laughs> remakes are kind of out of style now, now it's the, the like a sequel or the requel or whatever the hell they call them. Um, but I think if, if remakes come back again, these are three good movies to use as a template. Do something different with it. Keep the spirit alive. Keep the basic idea alive. But don't be afraid to like tell your own story um, and stretch. Yes. And I think, too, there is a reverence with, from the filmmakers that remade those movies all three of them all three of them yes because carpenter was a huge howard hawks fan huge huge howard hawks fan you can see his influence throughout his movies and what's the fly wasn't howard hawks but um cronenberg you can see howard hawks influence on this too in the way this movie's a screwball comedy for about half of it like a screwball romantic comedy it's like his girl friday or something yeah it's like it's i i i I forgot about i I did not yet so you can see the influence of those 50s movies and Hawks, of course, dipped his toe in the genre with the thing. But you can see those fifties movies. You can see the the DNA in these films. Chuck Russell as well. Yeah. So you for can sure. see there's a certain these people that are remaking these movies. They grew up and they liked going to see these movies. That's in the what 50s. I was going to say. Yeah. They have an yeah. attachment to it. Where a lot of those remakes, and I like some of them, but like when you're talking about those Platinum Dune remakes, it was Michael Bay gobbling up. It was Michael Bay, Platinum Dunes, or whoever gobbling up that name. Potentially viable properties, and just making a, a music video version of right. And there are there are remakes that I like, but there, there's a hollowness to them. I think. Well, or 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 it's situations I think from the from the heavy remake era where, like Rob Zombie, and, and like I, I'm mm. not the world's biggest Rob Zombie fan, but um, Rob Zombie here's a guy who is he didn't have an interest in remaking Halloween. He wanted to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yes. He didn't want to remake Halloween. And he was, I wouldn't want to say he was forced into it because he just wasn't forced into it, but he was coerced a little bit into going with it and stuff. And I, I mean, it's just, so I think a lot of those remakes from that era, that early that early to mid 2000s, 
suffer do suffer from that. I think some of the better remakes of that era are the ones that where you, those rare occasions where you do have a director who actually like House of Wax remake is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I think that's an example because it does feel like it's kind of reverent to that. And right. actually, House on Haunted Hill, I think, is a fun remake. I would agree, yeah. That's, but I think that, once again, is a movie that feels like it has, there's some love there for the original. It's not just a way to try and use a name to... Yes. Yeah. And I watched, yeah, I watched the, there was an interview with the screenwriter, and it's an older uh, documentary right now. I think it's called Fear the Flesh, or Fear yeah. of the Flesh, The Fly. And um, it's an interview with the screenwriter. He kind of talks about like, the, he zeroed in on the things he liked in the original, even if it were very hokey, even by 1980s standards. So, yeah. all right, let's dive into this plot. Let's do it. Brilliant but eccentric. Oh, we covered that. Scientist <laughs> Seth Brundle meets. Did sci- you know he's brilliant but eccentric? <laughs> meets science journalist Veronica Rani Quaif. I don't know. At the Meet the Press event held by Bartok Science Industries, the company funding his work, he takes her back to the laboratory of his warehouse home and asks her to exclusively document his invention. Two pods that can teleport between them. While the telepods can transport inanimate objects perfectly, they are unable to teleport live tissue as demonstrated. When a baboon, not a monkey, you make sure to mansplain, or man, (laughs) whatever you want to her later, uh, is turned inside out after being transported. Which is so gnarly. It's gross. And such such a fantastic way to set you up for what you're going to be seeing. This movie hits the ground running, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is gnarly. Um, so I'm going to pause here. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. I want to talk a little bit about his performance. Here. Phenomenal. Yeah, I think he's a really good fit with Cronenberg. Really good. Yeah, they didn't. They never worked together after this. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. I, Goldblum's kind of... He's an odd guy. He's an odd guy. I think guy. that's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure and Cronenberg, Cronenberg's kind of an odd guy, too. They so. have their quirks. But I think he's a really good fit for him because he kind of he's got that kind of nerdish quality to him but he's also there's a uh, there's an interesting aspect to him he's he's facially very interesting he's he's kind of quirky he's kind of manic in some ways he's he is very much in this film and in other films including like Jurassic Park which I think is what a lot of people think of Jeff Goldblum when they think of Jeff Goldblum they think of Jurassic Park a lot of the time I think uh people of a certain uh generation um in both films, he's playing sciencey types that are, like you said, are kind of quirky, um, smart but quirky. But there's a what's weird about Jeff Goldblum even now, and he's Jeff Goldblum is like like Christopher Walken now, like where like he is Jeff Goldblum is a character, right? Like he's you know what I mean. Um, but pre that, like there is a um, even though Jeff Goldblum has this kind of oh I. I I'm trying to... Th- I don't want to compare him to somebody that I don't like. <laughs> that I'm not a fan of. Um, I was going to say Woody Allen, right? Woody Allen was kind of the master of creating like this neurotic kind of... Uh, there was a charm to him, to his characters. Funny enough, he was at Annie Hall. Yeah, <laughs> right. Remember, yes. There there was a, a neurotic quality, but there was also a charm about it. Um, the, but, and Goldblum has a lot of that in this but what Goldblum had has in this is also like there's there's a sexiness to Jeff Goldblum there's there's an intrigue and a sexiness there's a mystery to Jeff Goldblum and he's it's the same way in Jurassic Park and that's there's there's a reason why people uh have tattoos of a shirtless Goldblum in Jurassic Park I have a coffee mug yes Yes. people own this stuff (laughs) I have a dog toy you have a dog toy yes yeah (laughs) yes because there is a certain there's a certain um mystique and a certain uh even though he's not your traditional 
leading Hollywood leading man. He's not 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 either in the kind of characters he plays, his personality or his looks. Um, he, there's just you can't help but look at Jeff Goldblum and be intrigued by him. Right. And, and that in itself lends a certain kind of sexiness to him, even when he's playing a character that's kind of otherwise can be borderline obnoxious at times, can be kind of manic at times and frustrating to watch at times. Uh, and he the scene in the diner is classic yeah. Jeff Goldblum, if you want. Yes. Yeah. And he, he even frust- I mean, he's even frustrating the Veronica character, Gene Davis's character. I mean, she's not into him right out of the gate in any sort of um, romantic way. It takes a wh- little while for her to warm up to him and realize that she is attracted to him. It's not an immediate, like, she's there for a story at first. She's not going back to... Right. You know, um, that comes second and that kind of naturally comes. And so I think that Goldblum is kind of perfect for Cronenberg because Cronenberg, if nothing else, in all the films we've talked about um, and certainly the last couple here and his previous films that we've talked about, Rabbit and Shivers and things like that, Cronenberg's films are this weird mixture of like... kind of i don't want to say gross sexuality but like kind of sexuality that feels kind of wrong or kind of like you're watching it and you're like am i supposed to be turned on by this or am i supposed to be grossed out by this i don't even know and there's there's that there's that kind of mixture of that within his films with just disgusting kind of like really out there body horror it's kind of a weird it's a fascination with like and he talks about the flesh in multiple films there's a fascination with the flesh both in the in what the flesh is capable of and the deconstruction of the flesh. There, right. There's the thing there. And it's prevalent it's it's present in all the movies we've what we've talked about to certain degrees. And um I think that that is why Goldblum's perfect, like a perfect marriage for Cronenberg in this movie, because like he like he aces both those things so well. He is does have that kind of weird kind of sexiness about him in the movie, but then he also does so well at like breaking down like mentally and physically that like yeah, he covers both those Cronenberg bases so perfectly. I'm done ranting about it now, but no, no, it's good. I no, you're right. Uh, so I want to I want to play a quick game with you because there were <laughs> I've got five other actors here. Okay, okay sorry, did that sound uh, very very sexy? Play like, a game with you. Now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are five other actors I have here yes. that were rumored or attached at some point or considered I, or whatever considered or I was able to find them on IMDb in the trivia section as being attached at some point. And I want to run them by you real quick. And I want you to tell me if I want you to tell me if you think it would be a very similar movie to what we got or okay. a completely different movie with the star or maybe even like Cronenberg would just be like, I can't work with Interesting. this guy. Okay, a- so before you even start naming the people, I, I want to say that. My prediction for my my get my uh, opinions would be that it's going to be very different because Goldblum is so unique. I think right? there might be a couple where you okay. go, I'm okay, excited. I can see this movie as it is I'm with excited. this actor. Um, and the first one is we'll go with Michael Keaton. Oh, there's a difference. So Keaton would be. I think it veers closer to similar, in my opinion. It, w- I, it would be. I think Burton was rumored to have been attached to. I think that would have been a completely different movie. But with yeah, Ke- the thing with Ke- Keaton, there are some similarities, kind of in the manic energy. Absolutely. But Keaton's more like I guess outgoing, more vibrant, more kind of on edge. Like he's kind of there's a there's like a kind of a dangerous kind of like a. I'm thinking of the the scene and you want to get nuts a Batman scene yeah. or be his performance as Beetlejuice around this time where there is kind of an edgier quality to him a kind of like a screw loose in some ways and I don't get that all the time with Goldblum. I think you would get a very I think you would get some similar stuff certainly after 
like during like post uh, fly interaction, like when he starts to break down, I think you would get some very sim- serious, similar like manic stuff from from Keaton. I think the immediate difference that I, the only major difference I could think of with those two would be would be the um, the immediate like courtship and attraction stuff. Because mm. I think Michael Keaton is more of a traditional like good looking guy than like like a, like I could see Jeff Goldblum works because I immediately buy him as this quirky scientist type. Keaton would be a little bit of a tougher sell for that. I feel like I forgot I though. Wrong, didn't but... he he courted uh, Gina Davis? Didn't yes, he? and it's speechless. Yes, Do you remember the movie? They were also in Beetlejuice, but I, the movie Speechless with Christopher Reeve. I That's think, right. Was, yes. They, That's right. Two political speechwriters fall in love. <laughs> so there you go. But no, yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. I think yeah. that part would be a little different. All right, we'll move on to the next one here. <laughs> Mel Gibson, <laughs> 1980s Mel Gibson. So this would have been around what Lethal Weapon one and two. Mel Gibson, Mad Max. Yeah, I would not. I, I mean, I've never seen him do it. I guess I don't know that I buy Mel Gibson as the scientist. I just don't. I don't need see that. I don't see it, and I could see Mel getting annoyed with the prosthetics. I could see him not wanting to do any of that part. Like he'd be like, put a stunt man in that thing. I don't wanna I don't I, I don't think Cronenberg would have a good time with Mel. And I'm not just saying that because of Mel's like right, 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 right. issues after I the didn't fact. Even think of that, yeah. I just don't think that he doesn't strike me as somebody who would be terribly excited to do a lot of even stuff. then there was a, a kind of a like he was the wasn't he the first ever sexiest man alive mel gibson maybe yeah so maybe. i think he's almost he's a leading man at this point i don't think and i don't think you can have a traditional leading man in this role i don't i yeah i'm with you uh next one this is an interesting one here richard dreyfus okay that could work um that could work He'd be a little older, I think, at this point than I would expect the Seth Brundle character to be. But you could do some different stuff with that. Like where you know, Goldblum, you get kind of like a he seems like he's a, like a young scientist who's still trying to make a name for himself. With Dreyfus, you could almost do something more where he is um he's a guy who's been working in the field for a long time and who's been ignored for a long time. And who maybe is a little bit more bitter about it and a little bit more uh, rugged than than Goldblum is, or a little bit more, uh, yeah. I don't the manicness. I mean, people forget that Dreyfus can do that. Like he really can. He can do that kind of stuff. Um, I just the only thing that escapes me is the romance angle. I just I don't know if if Dreyfus. I don't know if Dreyfus can can put off the the sex appeal aspect of like of Dreyfus the, walking out of, of the pod shirtless and in his underwear. I don't know yeah. if that works, <laughs> right? It doesn't have the same effect. I tried to picture nineteen eighties uh, eighty six Richard Dreyfus in my or head. Dreyfus picking isn't that up, like isn't that like stakeout Richard Dreyfus yes. <laughs> or Dreyfus picking up a young lady at the bar and bringing her back and having weird animalistic sex with her? I don't know. No, t- yo, that's her. No, to be fair, this was he was probably attached to a different script, a different I'm movie. Sure. Yeah, but I got to go with the version we see. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm now I can't get the thought of stakeout you, era. You want to see a deep fake? <laughs> uh, Somebody okay. get on that. Somebody talented, get on that with a deep fake. Two more, and I think in some ways they're similar actors. In some ways they're very different. Yeah. But coming up here, we have Willem Dafoe. 
would would be amazing. I think he would be really good at this. Is the one that would be the most similar thing. This is the first one where I go. I want to see that version, and it's not because I don't love Goldblum. I think Goldblum's perfect. I like, but I would love to see. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, per, it's per, Willem Dafoe is kind of like he's like he. Everything I've said, and I've said a lot about Jeff Goldblum because I think he's phenomenal. Everything I've said about him as an actor and as a person kind of goes with Willem Dafoe too. He has this weird, sexy stuff about him where you're like, I get, the, I like this guy. Like yeah. you got, there's like a, there's a mystique about Dafoe. So yeah, Dafoe would be sweet, really good. Because what, uh, what year was Streets of uh, Fire? I think that was eighty four, eighty five, and and Fly was eighty eighty six. Dude, perfect, yeah. Yeah. perfect. What was I'd the, watch it. He, what was the movie he was in with uh, Madonna? Oh God, um, I don't remember. There's okay. a lot of sexy stuff in that movie. <laughs> yes, there is. He did some Abel Ferrer movies. Uh, yeah, Bill. Well, oh, he was at Heaven's Gate. Wild the, One. The thing, the thing with the foe is he'd Platoon be like in L.A. Yeah, there would be almost a seediness to it. Platoon was around this time. Yeah. So there's less temptation of Christ. The thing about Defoe is he'd be like, David, I don't think we're going. I think we need to take it farther. <laughs> yeah, he would not be wearing underwear when he, he came no, out. No, he'd be like, I need to be nude. And then he'd be like... Body uh, of evidence is what I'm yes, thinking of. Yes, that's the one. Yep. And uh, he, he, you know what he would do? He'd be like, I'll sign on to the picture, but I, I want a sex scene in the fly prosthetic. <laughs> he would. Yes. Because Defoe just he'd be like, I, I want the challenge of yes, <laughs> of being sexy in the fly. Co- like that's Defoe. Yeah. The last one here, and I think this is an interesting one. I could go either way on. I want to hear your thoughts, James Woods, who of course had just uh, sure. worked with him on Videodrome. Yeah, a few no. years prior. I think Woods would be all right. I don't think Woods has the necessarily the. I don't think he has the. There's. I don't want to say James Woods does not have a presence. A screen presence to him. I think he has a different energy than someone like a Willem Dafoe or a, Willem Dafoe or a Jeff Goldblum. I don't well. buy. I, I don't think I would buy James Woods as a neurotic scientist. Yes. That's where, so like it's funny because there are like there are like three elements right that I keep thinking of when I think of these guys potentially in this role, and I think of the scientist element, the the kind of sexual energy element, like the romance romance element, and then of course the transformation stuff, the breakdown. And, like, with the exception of Defoe and then, um, God, who did you say earlier on? Uh, Keaton. Keaton. I can't see any of the other guys nailing all three. I can see some of them nailing, like, one or two of them, you know, but not. Yeah. yeah. And even Keaton, I, he, the, uh, Michael Keaton's not your traditionally. I'm on the fence yeah, with Sexy Keaton. man, I guess. Is... But Defoe? Yeah. I think, so Defoe would be your second choice behind. How has Defoe not made a movie with Cronenberg? Weird, right? <laughs> What, can we get these two together? <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Please. Uh, all right. Let's get back to this. One. Yeah. Right. As, that was fun, though. As they experiment with the invention, Seth and Ronnie begin to form a relationship. Using two stakes, one a control and one teleported, Seth discovers that the machine is creating a synthetic version of biological material rather than the object itself. He reprograms the system to understand the makeup of living tissue and successfully teleports a second baboon. Ronnie departs before they can celebrate, and Seth worries that she is rekindling her relationship with her editor, Stathis Borans. Stannis. <laughs> she actually left to confront Stathis about a veiled threat 
spurred by his jealousy of Seth to publish the telepod story without her consent. While drunk, Seth teleports himself alone, unaware that a housefly had entered the transmitter pod with him. He emerges from the receiving pod, seemingly normal. So there we go. Yeah, um, seems like it. I wanted to talk about Gina Davis as well. We've talked a lot about yes. Goldblum, um, because I think Gina Davis is terrific in this movie. <laughs> I think she's terrific in most movies. Um, yeah, she's great in this. And she's... Gina Davis is one of those actresses where I think she, I think she's legitimately underrated. I would agree. Like, I think she's incredibly talented and has done some really, really cool stuff. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was, you know what I think it was, honestly? And I hate to pin it on one thing. I think Cutthroat Island was the issue. Like... Well, she were, and I think some of the two there. I think there was some backlash with her kind of getting. She worked with her husband quite a bit. Yeah, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, on at the Cuthbert time. Island. Yeah, um, and I th- yeah, cause she worked with him on Long Kiss Goodnight mm-hmm. and maybe another movie too. But yeah, I just um, for whatever reason, she, she. I think it's unfair criticism, by the way. But yes, sure. I think. Yeah. But her career kind of did this weird thing in the '90s where she just didn't stay as present on the big screen as I wish she would, because I always thought she was really great. Um, a league of their own, fantastic. Um, guess she's good in everything. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked her on The Exorcist, the TV show that came out. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was great. Yeah, yes, really good. And it was nice to see her again. I just, I like Gina Davis, and I think she's really good in this. She plays a character who is, um, she's strong, she's independent, she's also she feels real, she feels vulnerable. She's in. Uh, she's put in some of the worst positions I think you could ever imagine yourself being put in, multiple times in the movie, and um, I don't know. The character just exudes this sense of like purpose and determination, and and at the end of the day, there's an, there's an empathy to her character too. Like she is understanding and empathetic of everything that it that even though she honestly like Seth can kind of Seth Brundle can be a, a, a selfish prick like a lot of I think people scientists and, and, and people that yes that are goal driven can be and I think um, like a lot of Cronenberg's movies post divorce you can do some reading into sure. how he how he sees maybe himself reflected yeah. in the character in a lot of ways yeah. and as this as this relationship crumbles and as his insecurities begin to come out a little more i think you can you you could read into it if you wanted to you could for sure yeah. um but i love that her character like she really legitimately sticks by him literally until the end like she fi- she fights for him because she does care about him you yes. know and she doesn't i i think she's great i think she's great her and Goldblum have great chemistry. They pull off that. They were dating at the time. They were dating. I think yeah. they were married for a few years after, after as yeah. well. Um, and then she got divorced and she ended up marrying Rennie Harlan. And they were divorced uh, later on too. But the chemistry is there on screen. And part of it is, and I think this plays into kind of what you're talking about with Gina Davis. She's a tough, I think it was Roger Ebert um, who talks about it. And he mentions she's a tough actress to cast because of how she looks. She's very, she's tall. She she's, is tall. She yeah. is very. She's very tall. She's got a very unique look about her. She's yep. almost kind of. Her and Goldblum are a perfect physical match in sure. a lot of ways because they're the same height. 
they both have kind of interesting facial features. They do. Yeah, yeah. They're both. They're not immediately. You don't look at them and immediately go like, oh, that's a leading lady and a leading man. Right. Not immediately. Right. And that's not a knock on either one of them. They're just not. Yes. Like, yeah. The stereotypical. But, yeah. But like when you like when you put them in a room together, like I buy those two completely as a couple. They feel real. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that helps out with the first half of the film and then where she really shines is as the movie goes on because it becomes very much about her in the middle of essentially two overbearing men and as we get in there's some very we'll talk about it when we get to it but there's some very interesting abortion related stuff later on in this movie that was yeah. another thing that took me by surprise and <laughs> yeah it feels kind of, pretty uh yes yeah <laughs> um but sh- what she also does sell and I, just keeping with the relationship between her and Myrtle, she really, it's her face at the end of the movie. Like, you're broken hearted. Like, she knows this thing is disintegrated to the point of no return, this relationship, but she still does that. She can't, she doesn't want to kill this person. <laughs> and no. it's, it's a heartbreaking tragedy. At it, the is end a, it, it is, it is, it is one of the, the most tr- truly tragic endings. It's a tragedy. It, it is. And it's, it's, it, this time, it's always affected me, but like this time around, I was like, man, that, that, that ending hits hard. Mm-hmm. And it, and the thing is, yes, the, the, the build up to it, like you said, the, the most important part of this movie and the reason why it works so well is because of Goldblum and Gina Davis's um, chemistry and how great they are together. Um, the most important part is the build of the relationship because if you don't have that and it doesn't feel genuine, everything that happens afterward would not hit as hard as it does. Mm-hmm. Um this is short. This is not a super long movie, so they they have to develop that pretty quickly, um, and they do. But like at the end, we have to remember like Gina Davis is now acting opposite an animatronic creature. Right, right. She does not have an actor to interact with at this point. Like, yes, she's interacting with the Brundle character. That's all Gina Davis. I mean, that's it is. And so, like, hats off to her because she absolutely no pun intended kills it. Like. After Seth and Ronnie reconcile, Seth exhibits sugar cravings. I mean, who doesn't? As well as in yeah, I mean, increased strength, agility, stamina, and sexual potency. I don't <laughs> well, feel any of that. <laughs> especially after sugar, um, which he believes resulted from the telefor- teleportation purifying his body. When Ronnie becomes concerned about Seth's deteriorating sa- sanity and both the strange, bristly hairs growing from a wound on his back. So gross, dude. <laughs> this is a gooey movie. I thought that the chest vagina was gross. <laughs> In Videodrome. Yes. This is grosser. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's uh, yes. Seth becomes aggressive, insisting that the proce- process is beneficial. He tries to force Ronnie to undergo teleportation, but she refuses. Seth goes to a bar and partakes in an arm wrestling match. Another gross part. So sweet. <laughs> this is really great. Leaving his opponent with a compound fracture. Yeah, you call it that. Um, he brings a woman named Tawny. <laughs> Sorry. Great, great name. I'm great, sure. great name for a character that's that 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 is the character that the guy picks up the bar. Like yeah, that's what's like. A, I mean, what's a nice old fashioned word? A trollop. Maybe. Ah, a, a nice old fashioned word for this. There you <laughs> go. Uh, hey, no trollop shaming on this show. No. Back no. to the warehouse where they have sex. After which. Seth tries to coerce her into teleporting. He's really, he's really stuck on this. this is his move. Yeah. Ronnie intervenes and th- Seth throws her out. When his fingernails begin falling off, he realizes something is indeed wrong. <laughs> he checks his computer records and discovers that the telepods confuse the two life forms, fusing him with the fly at the molecular genetic level. All right. 
let's talk about the effects here. Yes. Um, Incredible. Chris Wallace. Wallace. Wallace did the effects. He also did the effects for Scanners. So he'd worked with Cronenberg before. And there's some good stuff in Scanners, too. It's it's yes. more, it's not, you know, there's not as much of it. But I don't think he gets, yeah, the as ample an opportunity to show off as he does here. <laughs> he really shows up. This is some of the best stuff of this era, of this decade. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's done some memorable stuff. Raiders, he did Raiders of the Lost Ark, incredible of course. Stuff. Yes, incredible stuff at the end of that. Gremlins, he did work on. Incredible he stuff. He did some work on E.T. and then M- Enemy Mine. You remember Enemy Mine? I love Enemy Mine. Yes. <laughs> right here on my shelf, buddy. He did the makeup for that. And the makeup for that is, oh, no, it's in the makeup for that is very good, so. Yeah, yes. Lou Gossett Jr. is like phenomenal. In Enemy Mine, oh, yes. Oh, God, rules. <laughs> So yeah, the effects of this. Um, they're they're fantastic. And it, like I said, this is like, when I think of uh, 80s effects movies, movies that feature like those classic prosthetic effects, this is way up there for that decade. Um, the Thing has always been up there. Day of the Dead's always way at the top of the heap for me. There's certain movies that like, this is one of them where I'm like, it doesn't get much better than this. Um, they, we're hitting our peak here in 86 of like what you can accomplish with. Right. Yeah. I just wish we saw it more often now. I think a lot of this holds up. Uh, me too. I don't, I don't understand. I, I get it in some ways, um, but I guess I, yeah, I don't understand. I, maybe it's time consuming. The other thing I do forgive, especially on bigger budgets. Sure. Like your superhero movies. I do forgive it a little because they are on under such a crunch a lot of the time. And I'm not talking about forgiving. I've, Forgiving directors specifically because they don't have a hand in not paying people, yeah. but you know, like or making them work more hours to get this stuff done. Yeah. But like, I do forgive a director for going. Let's just use CGI, like for this for the shot because we've got to get this. Cut they can't. Now. Yeah. The schedule. So, the schedule's already locked in, and they can't. Yeah. But I'm with you. Um. And honestly, I think I miss some of this stuff. Though uh, you know? I, I legitimately do. I think one of the reasons something like so, just off the top of my head, like the Terrifier has like caught on in some ways, is because it uses yeah. a lot of really gnarly effects work. What is the okay? Oh God, you got to help me out here. I really liked the movie. I swear, I don't remember the title, of course. Um, I believe it was like a Kickstarter, like a crowdfunded movie, and it's it's very. It takes place in a hospital. And there's a ton of cool thing-esque creature effects in it. What is the? Are name? you talking about the void? Yes, yes. I, the, the dude that did the void has gone and done a couple things. He did that Day of the Dead show too. I didn't watch it, but okay, yes. I didn't, yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> no, it's no, it's all good. No, that had some. Uh, there's man, some great practical effects. It threw in me that. back. Yeah, to in, that, that time. I think that caught on with a certain, and I don't understand. I'm with you. I don't understand why. It's a bummer. Yeah, why and I know one of those so guys is like oh, CGI sucks. I mean, no, CGI is important, and it's it, sometimes it can be absolutely phenomenal, and incredible. Um, I just miss some of the practical effects in some of these horror movies. You know, I do. Even as much as I loved, loved, loved *Malignant*, I remember there being a little bit wonkiness c- CGI. I still haven't seen *Malignant*. Oh, you gotta see it. <laughs> I know. Um, there were were some good practical effects in uh. In Halloween Kills, though. Go that ahead. was the other one that popped up ahead, and maybe a better better example than Terrifier. I just didn't use it because it's so divisive. Hatchet. Movie. Hatchet's got some good Hatchet's stuff. Hatchet's got some good stuff, yeah. yes. So it, it exists. Right. But I, I, I want to see more of it. So, A couple other things I just wanted to touch on here. Um, it was talk- he did, Kronenberg has kind of talked about he's, he's okay with people interpreting this movie however they want to interpret it. He didn't mean it. A lot of times in the 80s movies, with 80s movies, you everything 
every horror movie or anything like this that kind of deals with a deteriorating condition of body is tied back to AIDS. Oh, yeah. And he didn't mean it to be that way. He actually, like, part of his direction to Gina Davis was when he's like, act like he's dying of cancer. Um, that, to me, it reads more like that. Than, yes. And yeah. it reads more like that. It reads more like old age. Like, sure. Like the character coming to grips with old age. And, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the fly every morning. I, I never, I never took the, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I never took the. I never got the AIDS thing with this. That never. I mean, I get it. I see I, the. I get it too, but there's not. I never got that. A lot of times, that stuff works more when it's like a something transmissible between, like Prince of Darkness is kind of what I think of when I think of like an AIDS metaphor. Yeah, because it's it's transmissible through one hundred percent. Yeah, yep. this is more. I mean, this is more in line with the original movie, which is like a guy. A scientist specifically messing in a realm that she should not be messing in the realm of the gods, if you will. Uh, it's a it's a very classic. It's so funny to me because I mention this every episode, but Cronenberg is doing comic book movies. This yeah. is a Hulk movie. Yeah, <laughs> like this is a, this is an Absolutely. incredible Hulk movie in some ways. So for sure, um, we got to add Seth Brundle to the Cronenberg uh, Smash Bros. game, right? <laughs> Absolutely, he did yeah, good powers. Got to be in there. Um, there was an original director before Cronenberg. Um, Robert Bierman, he was the original. He's the guy who went on to direct Vampire's Kiss, the Nick Cage movie. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. he did a lot of commercial work. His daughter died um, during the pre-production of this movie. Jeez, oh, and Mel Gr- Mel Brooks, the great Mel Brooks, uh, Blazing Mel. Saddles, uh, Spaceballs, all that good stuff. Love Mel. Yeah, Mel Brooks is the producer on this movie. That's insane. <laughs> he also produced The Elephant Man, the David Lynch. Also insane. Yeah, uh, but he did not want his name on the movie because of... He didn't want it to be Mel Brooks. Yep, he didn't yep. want people to go on in thinking it was a comedy. Um, but he, the original director informed him um, that his daughter had died, and Mel Brooks said, listen, I'll give you three months, and if you want to come back, like I'll, I'll hold awesome. the picture for you. And the guy told him, like, I can't do it. Yeah. So that's when they, they essentially... Um, David Cronenberg was on Total Recall at the time. Yes, and right. it fell apart, which also would have been crazy. I think I love Total Recall. I think Verhoeven's. I, He's kind of the perfect guy for that. Yeah, it's so tough with Verhoeven movies because they're all like so many of them are just pure Verhoeven movies. <laughs> you can his Total Recall would have been much different. Cronenberg's. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen it. Yes. There would have been some similarities, though, especially with kind of the corporate stuff. Um, yeah, and there's a grossness and a sexiness to Verhoeven stuff, too, though. I don't... God, I can't... Like, can you imagine him directing Arnold? God. Um, yeah, it would be something. But, yeah, Total Recall fell apart. Mel Brooks and the other producer on the film, whose name is escaping me, basically went to Cronenberg and said, all right, um, we're going to give you this movie. We'll give you what you want money-wise, and... Um, you can rewrite the film, which he did, and they shot it in Canada because he liked Cronenberg's very loyal to his own crew, and he liked yeah. his crew. And he's, and I think that's a good thing for him, especially in these '80s movies. They all have a very consistent look to them because he's using the same cinematographer in a lot of them. They so. do, they they do, yeah, yep. Seth continues to deteriorate, losing body parts with his human appearance. After several weeks, he reconnects with Ronnie and reveals he is a hybrid of a human and an insect, which he has nicknamed Brundlefly. He has also begin, begun vomiting digestive enzymes into his food before eating and is able to cling to walls and ceilings. He is even losing his human mentality in favor of uncontrollable primitive impulses. This is what I texted you. I'm like, this is the this is the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. That's <laughs> when he starts vomiting and eating. Because now it's just turning into pure physical comedy for me. Yeah, pure gross yeah. out comedy. It's like a jackass movie. For a little bit it is. Yes. And then it comes back around to like pure just... um. 
yeah, this is this stuff is it's it's rough to watch, but it's it's also kind of funny. Like there's a there's a sick humor to what's happening at this point. There's almost an acceptance of like, yeah, he's gonna he's screwed. Like we might as well like enjoy the show. As <laughs> horrible as that sounds, um, yeah. The effect, just to touch on the original real quick again, the effects crack me up in this because they're excellent. The original, it's so funny. It's just like a dude in a fly hat. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guy with a fly hat on. Uh, the original's worth a watch. It's fun. Uh, Vincent Price told, I think it was Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum asked him like what he thought of the movie. He's like, I very much enjoyed it, but there was a certain part where you went too far and it wasn't for me anymore. Vincent Price says, I'm guessing may have been around this part <laughs> when he starts vomiting into his food. There's a part that we'll talk about very soon that involves vomit um, that my brother has quoted as like, and I was there with him when he saw it for the first time. He still will say like, I, I, he like, I couldn't look at it. Yeah. Like it so deeply disturbed my younger brother that like he's, he has like traumatized by, by, by it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Seth installs a fusion program into the telepod computer, planning to dilute the fly genes into in his body with human DNA. Ronnie discovers she is pregnant with Seth's baby and has a nightmare of giving birth to a giant maggot. Horrific. Remember the X- maggots gross me out. You remember the X Men character maggot? I do. <laughs> yeah, he, used to, he had like maggots that came out. Weird. Um, I had it was a weird nineties can. What's that? I have maggots in my garbage can. Yeah, right? that happens when you get a you get an animal you get a dead animal down there. No. Okay. No, it's just, it's like... You got a plastic garbage can? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they get in there, mm-hmm. the flies, and then you open it to throw another bag in, and you're like, ah, no. Yeah. It's just this time of summer... It gets like that, yeah. It's, it, yeah, and then it, once it starts cooling down again, you don't have to worry about it, but... Yeah. It was... It gets gnarly. It was gnarly, buddy. <laughs> uh, Roddy discovers she's pregnant. Yeah, Maggot, she demands that status... Pre- Persuade a doctor to perform an abortion in the middle of the night, but Seth, overhearing Ronnie's fears, abducts her before the procedure can take place and begs her to carry the child to term, since it may be the last remnant of his humanity. So sad. Stathis breaks into Seth's lab with a shotgun, but Seth disables him with his corrosive vomit to destroy uh. Stathis' head and foot, stopping just short of vomiting acid onto his face when Ronnie screams at him to stop. All right, That's we'll stop the part. That's the part your brother's <clears throat> talking about? Oh my God. My brother, I could... He wasn't scared of the movie. He was just horrified by the stuff. Like, and I, he was already like, "Good God, this is gnarly!" Like, and then it got to the part where he grabs his arm and just, and like, Zach is my brother is still freaked out by that. And then he barfs on his leg and rots his like rots his leg away. Oh, it's just yeah, yeah. It is gross, but yeah, that's one of Zach's like all time uh-uh. moments in a movie. It's my favorite. This is where we should discuss the way abortion is handled in this yes, movie because please. I think it's handled very intelligently and I think so I mean it becomes for this movie like she she's unflinching in her belief that like she is going this is her body this is her choice she's this getting is, rid of it she's it's, yeah she has the autonomy yep. she's getting rid of this and, she she will she's made her decision and yeah. she's got men all around her telling her no 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 well she's got well, she's got stathis saying oh yeah you gotta do it you yeah gotta do it yeah you gotta do it when she has a Doesn't moment the doctor of, say something though to her uh maybe not okay i'm thinking he's maybe. just bitching because it's late and he doesn't want to do it um okay, so he's understand but then <laughs> seth is like please don't please don't brundle and, is the interesting aspect so, well it yeah. is because there is a so you hear a lot about 
in the in the and I don't want to get too into it. I really don't. But like in the debate about um abortion rights and 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 reproductive rights for women, you do occasionally hear that that kind of side commentary from people saying, "What about the father? Right. What about their decision?" Yada yada yada. And so that Seth Brundle is kind of filling that that uh, part of the conversation, right? Because he's please don't, please don't. And it's very sad, and you feel you you feel for him to a certain extent because you're like, okay, I, like he knows at this point, yes, he knows he's going to die. Like I think he knows the little human part of him left knows that if he's not going to die, he's lost his humanity. Like it's, right. it's not, it's not going to get any better. There's no miracle cure. Um, and, but at the same time as sad and, and, as, and you can feel empathetic towards that or sympathetic towards that. And it, it, it sucks for him, but like at the end of the day and she's, you know, she more or less says the same thing. Like, this is my choice. Like, yeah, she she tells it, and there is a there's also an interesting aspect to what you said about uh, about Brundle because yeah. he wants what essentially what he wants is he wants he deep down all of his insecurities by this point have come to the forefront and what he what he really wants is kind of that traditional nuclear family with and it's what he's always wanted deep down inside is kind of what he sees as that traditional and like and even there's that idea of i have to have a kid to carry on my legacy my legacy yeah like right. i have to in some cases it's people saying i have to have a boy to carry on sure. the yeah, family cases, name yeah. as, after i am gone yep. and there's a little bit of that in there too and there's a lot of there's a lot of that and kind of like the anti-abortion, anti-rights, anti-choice sure. element, of which is like, yeah, um, I have a say in this too. You can't do this. But what Gina Davis says in is, is essentially no. <laughs> no. No, I'm not I, I'm not giving birth to whatever's going to come out of me. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Right. You know, sucks. But And it's a bummer all around. No, it is. It's no, sad, it is. It's it a is. sad yeah. situation all around. No, and absolutely. And, and it's okay to feel sympathy even now and his... T- deteriorated form it's okay to feel sympathy for the for the for, for the, the Seth Brundle yes. character because there's a there is a sympathetic quality to that even though he's made really bad decisions and even though he's about to make the decision of trying to get them all to merge into one thing via fly pod um which then th- that's where that's where all Seth loses me when he's like <laughs> let's all merge together as one thing he's gotten completely that's an interesting thing that, yeah that's an interesting thing too too because yeah. it's also like he's trying to get back to Kind of the the basics, the the essence of humanity, which is connection of right. everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> very uh, very interesting. Yeah, it is. There's a lot. There are a lot of layers to that. This portion of the movie, and it's so easy. This is the kind of movie but, that, like. Go oh, sorry. Ahead. sorry. No, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, it's just it's so easy for. I think it's be so easy for somebody to write off somebody who's maybe not a fan of horror films or, um, you know, sees you know, hears about the fly. Um, you know, and when you hear about the fly, you're probably gonna hear about things like the guy melting a dude's leg by puking on it. Like that's what people talk about because that's the crazy shit that horror fans want to talk about. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people would write off this film, and I think it's really, really interesting, like multifaceted portrayal of like a major, major, major issue like abortion. Um, they'd write that off purely because it's like, oh, okay, it's it's one of those. 
you know. Yes. And if you can't stomach the gore and stuff, I get it. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not, like, I have no issue with it. Like, I understand some, it's not for everybody. But it's too bad that there are people who will write off a movie that's labeled as a horror movie, which this is a horror film, that label movies in a certain way and assume that there's not anything worth, like, talking about afterwards. There's no conversation points. There's no, because, yeah, there's a lot of horror out there that is schlocky and kind of not worth any sort of actual dissection or discussion but man the fly really is like there there's some really really cool stuff going on here interesting stuff going on here with regards to like a debate that is more important now than it ever has been arguably yeah so and the thing i was yes sorry the thing i was going to say and kind of build on what you were talking about and the reason I give this for me an edge over something like Videodrome I think Videodrome there's a clarity to the fly in the in the third act where all of these threads kind of come together that have been building building there whereas fly or uh, Videodrome gets a weird and esoteric and there's advantages to that I prefer something maybe a little bit more like the fly which brings all of those threads together and is able to is able to convey its themes with a clarity and a sense of clarity that like this one does. Yes, so. I agree hundred percent. That's more, that's more to my taste. Yes. Because, and that's the nice thing in you touch about, about genre movies, horror movies when they are like this is you can, you can, as this one, as this deals with abortion as the film goes on, but that's later on top of a lot of other ideas that it's dealing with where sometimes like in a drama that's specifically about abortion, like it's just about that one thing. So, Absolutely. Well, yeah. well, and I think like we, we mentioned earlier, like the fly, the fly is a tragic story. It's a tragedy. Yes. And it's a tragedy for all the characters involved, all of them, even Stathis. It's, it's a tragedy for him too. Um, I mean, he gets puked on, <laughs> um, but in order to have a story that is tragic, you have to have a heart to the story. Right. There has to be heart in that story. There has to be an emotional, something to tether you to the story from an emotional perspective, whether it's, whether it's, it's, uh, the deterioration of Seth Brundle or the struggle of, um, uh, Veronica deciding what to do regarding, you know, and having these different voices trying to tell her what to do regarding her unborn child. There are these different things that can that can pull you in, and that, and ultimately the romance really at the at the end of the day the romance and and that chemistry and stuff is the heart of the film, and you can't have a tragedy without that. The difference between this and Videodrome is, Videodrome, is just as, in a lot of ways, just as gnarly and dark as The Fly, is from a story perspective, but Videodrome doesn't have the heart. Videodrome is very nihilistic and very, right. very um a very angry film and even at its absolute most dreadful and the fly is very very dark and very sad and gross and hardly and all these things it, there's still a heart to the film and it carries through all the way to the end and that is why the the end is such an emotional gut punch because you do care about the characters for so. sure that video drum i i never really care about max ren I'm curious to see where the journey takes him, but I never like, I sure hope Max makes it through. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Let's fl- finish this plot out. Yeah. Seth reveals his final plan to Ronnie. He will use the telepods to fuse the two of them along with the unborn child into a single entity 
to become the ultimate yeah, family. Yeah, cut it out, Seth. <laughs> Too much. After she accidentally tears off his jaw in a struggle, which triggers his final transformation, shedding his that decaying... That is gnarly, too. The, yes. shed, the shed, skin coming off. Oh. <laughs> shedding his decaying flesh to become a monstrous insectoid human creature. I love the word insectoid. It's so sweet. Seth traps Ronnie in the first telepod and puts himself in the other and begins the countdown. Always a problem. you got to just go right into it. No, None of these countdowns. This is a Bond villain mistake. You're setting yourself up for <laughs> Disappointment. A weakened Stathis recovers his shotgun and severs the cables connecting Ronnie's telepod to the computer. So Stathis has now come full circle. There's a journey for Stathis. He's, yep. he's less of a dick now. Um, <laughs> he is kind of a dick most of the movie. Yes. She even, uh, I think it might be a deleted scene that they put in the... Um, he makes a joke. They put it in the uh, documentary. Um, but ah. he makes a joke. I can't remember if it's in the movie or not. Now they're blending together. But he makes a joke and she doesn't laugh and he goes, oh, you used to think I was funny. And she goes, yeah, I used to think you were funny. Because <laughs> he does suck. Uh, Seth, Seth breaks halfway out of his own pod, but the fusion process activates, gruesomely amalgamating him with a chunk of the telepod. Seth crawls to Ronnie and places the end of the shotgun to his head, silently oh. begging to her to end his it's suffering. It's so horrifying. <laughs> Kill me. Uh, looking out at the creature that was once Seth Brundle, she tearfully fires, killing him instantly, and falls to her knees in despair. And that is how the movie ends. Boom. That's how you get out of a movie that's the end of the movie you don't need an epilogue it rocks it's over <laughs> i don't want to know what happens to her afterwards nope. or any like her journey is done yep as well yep everybody's journey is done yep i don't I need, love it <laughs> do not need to know i don't do not need to know if she kept the child nope, i don't, don't want to nope. know nope if you really want to know watch the fly too yeah I, I prefer to like i yeah for sure you can ignore the fly too if you would like as well i prefer to what was um I, there's some cool things about that so he, have you seen the sequel? Yeah, you have. Okay, I have There's not seen the sequel. There's some good stuff. There's okay. some good stuff. It's not particularly kind to the Veronica character, um, but it's there's some good stuff in there. It's not very good though. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this was directed by Chris Wallace, who did the um, yes. effects. I did yes. not know that. Okay. There's some really killer effects in it. No surprise. Um, it is kind of a rehash in most ways of the first film, to be honest with you. Um, the Stathis character returns, which is interesting. Um, Eric Stoltz plays the son, the new, the uh, little Brundle, I guess. Um, there's some interesting stuff. It is not something to like bend over backwards to try and seek out. Yeah, but if you really want to see a continuation of the story, it's not so bad. It's not. It's it's watchable. There's a really there. Oh, there's really rough dog violence in it, though. If you can't handle dog stuff in movies, okay, don't watch it. It's okay. a, it's actually like kind of hard to watch in a couple spots. So that's a good. Thank you for that warning. Yes, there were there was also a so there was some alternate stuff here. There's the fly outbreak, which was an IDW comic book in what? 2015 that is a direct sequel. IDW will take any property. <laughs> I I love IDW so much. I can yes. like I mean that. Like I, I think they're awesome. They do really cool shit. Like they do crossovers of Star Trek and Ninja Turtles, and I'm like, this is rules. Like, have you read that? The Star Trek Ninja Turtles? No, no I read the Ghostbusters Ninja Turtles. The, okay. Uh, well, Infestation. I which think. was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but um, they'll do anything. They did a fly comic, Tim. Yes. Yeah, it was about Seth Brundle's son Martin. It was after it was a sequel to Fly Two, actually. It, it oh. continued that, um, inadvertently causing a transgenic outbreak while attempting to cure Anton Bartok, 
to whom he'd previously tra- transferred his mutant genes at the end of the flight. Yeah, too. that's right. Um, Rennie Harlan was going to do a sequel with, of course, Cheetah Davis when they were married. Uh, was said to feature a story where Veronica gives birth to two twin boys and herself survives the ordeal. Um, Todd Lincoln was going to do a remake by Fox Searchlight in 2006. Didn't happen. Cronenberg had talked about doing a sequel. Um, wow. Cronenberg stated that he had written not a remake, but rather a sort of sequel to his 86 version. Um, yeah. So what would Cronenberg I'm trying to be look? About? I'm fascinated because my that. agent found out. Well, you know about David. They said, well, Wow, he does. I I don't see any specifics here. I would have to do research on what it was. Yeah, I'd be he, curious to hear. Yeah, he basically talks about the. He says he described the board project as more of a sequel or a sidebar. It was a meditation on flyness. None of the same characters or anything, and of course, with the understanding of modern technology. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Amazing. So basically, not the fly too, which is fine. Love it. Yeah, and Goldblum said he would be interested in doing a sequel only if Cronenberg was involved, even though his character had died. I don't know what that means either. I, <laughs> I mean, that's just somebody going like, hey, Jeff, would you do a sequel to The Fly? That's sure. like something they would ask at San Diego Comic-Con. Exactly. And Goldblum's like, yeah, yeah. Jeff, what does The Fly 2 come out? <laughs> you fucking rule in that movie. Ignoring the fact that there is a Fly 2. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my gosh. Amazing. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on is I did not know that Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid came from this movie. And like, I didn't know it stemmed from this movie. From the promotion of I the always movie, thought right? it was something that came like way back in the Oh, movie. is it a line in the movie? It's a line in the movie. It uh, is. That's Jim right. Davis says it. Yep. To the, to the woman. That's Tawny. Right. Amazing. There we go. The fly. Excellent. Hey, good conversation. We're going to close this bad boy up next week, or next episode. Yes. We're going to be talking about Dead Ringers, which I have never <laughs> seen. I have. It's been a long, I talked long to time. listener, friend, one Mr. David Steele, um, and he, he told me he had recently watched Dead Rickers, and he told, oh. he told me I was in for a treat. Hey, if I remember right, and it's been a while, you're in for a treat, pal. There's only one way to close this bad boy out, I think. Yeah. Do you want more squishy sounds? or Is, is there squishy sounds on this one? Uh, I believe so, yes. <laughs> what kind? Well, they're twin gynecologists, so. Cronenberg <laughs> plays a gynecologist at the fly, by the way. He does. <laughs> That's right. I love Cronenberg. Oh. He has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, check us out all over social media. Be safe out there. Take care of each other. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.